Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a golf course. 70 courses. Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching. Time for chill vibes. Beach How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret's just-arrived collection of swim and other sun-ready silhouettes. Pack your bags with new styles from the Very Sexy Collection, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy Push-Up Bra, in on-trend hues like green and citron and black shine. Rewind to the future with the VS Archives Swim Collection, inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. Plus, mix and match with their wide range of bikini tops and bottoms to find your dream suit. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Summon your anticipation for an all-new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. This season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix, May 16th. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop starting May 2nd. Flaky Biscuit is a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. Welcome to Flaky Biscuit, where each episode we are cooking up delicious morsels of nostalgia. And each episode I'm creating a recipe from scratch and literally I'm hand delivering it to my guests. Today I happen to pull up with a, a nice lunch bag reminiscent of like going to school, little brown bag situation with the surprise in it. <laughs> and these recipes, I hope that you're making at home as well. Today, there's someone very, very special here. My guest has dedicated her career to exploring the nexus of art and culinary history through lectures, cooking classes, and tastings in universities and museums, like the Metropolitan Museum of Art, the LA Museum of Art, and the J. Paul Getty Museum. I mean, come on. I'm not even close to that level, man. We talking about <laughs> museums. We are talking about museums. She's also founded Art Bites, a combination of food and art history through classes, lectures, and workshops in which she creates recipes inspired by historical works. The importance of this work, I'm just kind of salivating to, to learn more myself. Co-host of Hungry for History on iHeartRadio's My Cultura Podcast Network, please welcome Maite Gomez Rejon. Thank you, Brian. I'm so excited to be here. I love the concept of your of flaky biscuits. So I'm just I'm thrilled, and I keep eyeing that little brown bag. <laughs> I'm glad that you like flaky biscuit. What do you? What is it that you like about it? I just love the whole. First of all, the name is so inviting. A yeah. bis- who doesn't love a biscuit and a flaky biscuit? Come on! I just read those two words, and I can smell it. That's what I'm saying. I you should lo- get one yeah. of those candles, biscuit flavored. <laughs> you that you've seen this candle yes, situation happening. Totally. Get a flaky biscuit candle. You could just smell 
smell the flakes coming off of it. I would buy it. I literally feel like making biscuits with maybe some eggs and some frijoles or something, mm. you know what I'm saying, on the side. Do you, I like it with butter. Do you like regular butter or, or salty butter? You know, because I bake so much, I don't ever have salted butter in my kitchen. Is there like a specific type of salted butter that you would prefer on your biscuit or? I like the French salted butter that has, it has like chunks of flaky sea salt oh, in it. Shoot. So you slice into it and sometimes you see, I'm salivating just mm, thinking about it, mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. on a sort of sweet biscuit. Mm. I love that sort of sweet and savory. Oof. But I can understand you wouldn't want to bake with it. That's something that you just yeah. want to put on a piece of But now of you bread. got me curious about that salty butter going directly on the biscuit and jam. I'm a yeah. butter jam combo type. Yeah. I like to put like a nice, like a raspberry or something, or guayaba, you know mm, what I'm saying? Guayaba jam, that's uh, so good. Guaya, you know? Oh, uh, yeah. I love apricot jam. I think that's my favorite. Oh, man. That was one of my dad's <laughs> favorite jams. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, we don't have biscuits here, and I did not make biscuits today. I guess you gave two options, and you don't know what I made for you. Um, how about you open the bag okay. and tell me what I made for okay. you? Okay. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I'm so excited. Close your eyes. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, wait. Something soft. Wait, what is this? Oh, shit. That <gasps> the little sandwiches. <laughs> oh, my God. This is... <laughs> I have not tasted this since I was a child. So what exactly is it? Okay, these are... I love the way you packed it in this little saran wrap. This is exactly how my mom used <laughs> This is so it. exciting. Okay. I gave you two options, you like did. I said. So one of them, the first option was lonches de piñata. <laughs> this is the ultimate birthday party food when I was a child. Should I open it? Just don't eat it yet. Okay. Open it. You can smell it. You can touch it. Okay. Um, but explain to our listeners exactly what it is, well, what's inside that package that you're holding. Okay. So it's this little sandwich, very soft bread. <laughs> I just felt it as soon as I stuck my hand in there. And it's basically... It's yellow cheese Mm -hmm. with pimento Mm -hmm. and either milk or like carnation, like evaporated milk or Mm -hmm. something Mm -hmm. blended together. Mm -hmm. And these are sandwiches that my mom used to make for every birthday party growing up. And it wasn't just my mom. I think it was just like every single birthday party that I ever went to growing up, every piñata (laughs) had these lunches de piñata. It Uh was like the thing. Uh And I just remember my mom making it. And just being so excited, just the anticipation of the birthday party and like who was going to come over. And I guess most kids are just not really thinking about what food is going to be served in their birthday party. But Mm. I was always very excited about these lunches de piñata. (laughs) And I would help her put the little smear of of this filling, but then also open the little craft singles, the the little plastic, and just put those in the blender. Uh But what you did here that I'm most excited about (laughs) is that the crusts are cut off perfectly. Yeah, you know I got that sharp (laughs) chef's knife. (laughs) Yes. I figured that cutting the crust off in that kind of perfect angle was necessary. And you better believe I ate the crust too. Yes. Because the crust had some of the filling on it. Oh my God. I was nibbling on them crusts before we got here. This is like the ultimate kids food. (laughs) And you know, Sidebar, this is a birthday party, technically. Oh, that's right. Because it was just birthday. my birthday, and we're here, and we're celebrating <laughs> with these. Lunches de piñata, yes. Lunches de piñata. I remember growing up, there was a very, very specific birthday meal that we all got for about 
this five-year time period between 10 and 15. Those are the ages I remember. And I grew up in a Honduran household. You know, my parents are from Honduras. But <laughs> our birthday meal is not what any, you would never guess. No one would ever guess what it was. I don't even think, you know, Bridget, I don't think I've ever talked about this. But me and my siblings, we all talk about this specific moment. And it was, um, it was a DiGiorno pizza, red bag Doritos, a two liter of Pepsi, and that tri-flavored Neapolitan ice cream. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm, you know yes, what I'm talking about? Yes, the yes, of pink? course. Every birthday, whether it was me, my brother, or Tusa, we all got that same thing. And we would be so excited for that moment of a DiGiorno pizza and Doritos. So <laughs> I, I think <laughs> there's definitely... Awesome. <laughs> Kids' birthday food. Oh, you don't play with that. No. <laughs> and you don't forget that. You don't forget that stuff. She used to pack these in a little sandwich bag, sliced at an angle, Ooh. a little sandwich bag. Uh-huh. And then put it in little a little white cardboard box. So it was a sandwich and then a little plastic bag mm. with candies. Ooh, and then that we just to tie together. And that was what every kid would get. Like a like a mm. ration. Like, here's, like here's, a here's, ration. <laughs> exactly. Damn, exactly. Little candies. So these are called lunches. And for the listeners that might not know what that means, because you know, there's there's different types of sandwiches, right? There's tortas lunches. And I feel like you're the perfect person to explain this. What is the difference? Oh, gosh, that's a good question. And I don't know, really know. Oh. Well, a lonche, it sounds sort of like a, it almost sounds sort of Spanglish, right? It's like lonche to lunch. <laughs> like lunch. Like, like a, a lunch. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. a lunch. Like a torta is a piece of bread. And a torta is usually from a bread like a bolillo or a telera, like mm-hmm. those breads that mm-hmm. are more crusty, mm-hmm. that are more, I guess, more sophisticated yeah. than just the regular white uh. sliced, you know, bread. And the fact that it's like yellow cheese and it's it's a much, very American. I mean, I grew up in Laredo, Texas, uh-huh. on the border of Texas and Mexico parents are from Mexico. But my mom said that she tasted these for the first time when she was in Mexico City. But everybody in Laredo, Nuevo Laredo, which is the Mexican side of the border, always used to have the lunches de piñata. And I think it's basically comes from just the English word for lunch. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a lonche. It's mm-hmm. something that you have for lunch. It's like a simple, you know, takeaway. Yeah. I like that. It's not that complicated. It's like it's lunches, son. Like it's lunch. It's, it's a lunch. It's a lunch. A torta seems so, so much more work, so much like more that. sophisticated. A torta, you're right, the telera bread, bolillo. What about the se- the bread that semitas are Semita, made with? yeah. That it's kind of like that crusty but seeded. Almost, I wouldn't call it a burger bun because the texture is so different, right? It's a little more, it's a little firmer than, the, little more than, firm. the, than the burger bun, yeah. Yeah, so Mexico has definitely a very sophisticated sandwich culture. My, in my in my opinion, people kind of sleep on that. I think when you think of Latin American cuisine and you think about sandwiches, a lot of people, oh, like Cuban sandwich, right? Of course, the Cuban sandwich got my heart too, but people forget, you know, tortas ahogadas. Mm-hmm. The, like, like Mexico got a deep, rich sandwich culture. Absolutely. I mean, there's so many because there's, the, of course, the tacos, yeah. um, which is different. It's a tortilla, mm-hmm. but you have the bread and then there, there's so many different types of, of breads and different breads that are, are used depending on the on the torta. And it's this this sort of culture that has that has existed in Mexico since the 19th century when mm-hmm. you have all of these French bakers opening mm-hmm. up bakeries and like you said the tortas ahogadas mm-hmm. and it's a certain bread with a sauce but it doesn't get soggy because it's the birote because it's the birote so, exactly so, the, so birote and I talk about birotes all the time it's it's a uh, native to Guadalajara in Jalisco mm-hmm. and it's a bread that is apparently I'd love your take on this actually because it's a, it's a question that I always 
Because we're talking about nostalgia, actually. Mm -hmm. And so this bread's made in Guadalajara, which is at a certain altitude and has a certain humidity and a certain climate. And so it's made natural. We call it sourdough, right? The, you know, the sourdough trend or whatever. But this is a naturally fermented bread, wood-fired in this part of Mexico. And the first time I came to L.A., no, maybe the second time I came to L.A., I befriended my friend Arturo. He has a bakery in Long Beach. It's Mexican-inspired artisanal bakery. And a lot of the local... Mexican-American restaurants and communities don't believe you can make a birote in the United States. Mm. So they make tortas ahogadas and they import the birote. Oh, wow. From Guadalajara. Really? And so my friend's making nice sourdough birotes, he calls them. Well, he stopped calling them birotes now because no one would accept them. So, But, you know, <laughs> he makes the bread, good flour, good fermentation, and people are like, nope, doesn't taste the same. That's not a birote. And I've been wrestling with this there's something very special about that, right? There's a there's a pride in that specific bread by a specific Mexican community. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, like, do you think food can be recreated when it's tied to such specific environmental conditions or, or nostalgic moments? <sighs> like, is Chinese food here still Chinese food? Or is it just like the idea of what they used to make in China? That's you know a I mean? really good question. It's such a loaded question. I'm not trying right? to load up on you. I'm no, just... <laughs> no, no, no. I, lo I, lo I love it. I love it. It's funny. I was just, I was in Mexico City last week. My mom is from Mexico City. Mm -hmm. And she's coming to L.A. on Sunday. And she said, buy some bolillos. Bring me some bolillos. Mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. And so just bring them, freeze them, mm -hmm. and then we could have tortas on Sunday Oof. night. Yeah. Right? So I did. So I came back from Mexico City carrying the tortas, and I tasted one there, and it was delicious. But I was like, does it really taste that different than the tortas that I buy in Los Angeles? And I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But the thought, you know, my mom was so excited to have frozen tortas with frozen bread that came mm -hmm. from, mm -hmm. you know, this one bakery in Mexico City. And... That's what's valuable, yeah. really. I mean, I don't know. Does it taste better? Does it taste different? You know, maybe. And I think it's just what you bring to it. You yeah. know, it, I went to this amazing bakery yesterday in Compton. They're from Guerrero. Uh -huh. They make the breads from this particular region, the Costa Chica of Guerrero. Mm -hmm. And this is what they make. And I love bread. Every like <laughs> love every bread, sweet, savory bread. And it's very different than any bread that I've than any pan dulce that I've tasted. Mm -hmm. There was just something very unique about it. I can't really put my finger on what was different, but it just different. It looked different, much more rustic. And the people were really nice. They were hilarious. And they were talking about a lot of people from Jalisco yeah. that live here. Mm. Sorry, not from Jalisco, from Guerrero that haven't been back home or haven't been able to go home in decades maybe and mm. you know many many years they taste their bread and they're completely transported Oof. to home Oof. so this is a bread that's made in los angeles you know in compton but just the fact that it's made by people mm -hmm. from guerrero mm -hmm. they're bringing this love they're bringing these stories and hey, if that's what it takes yeah. to have a little taste of home, uh -huh, then that's uh -huh. totally fine. I don't think it's ever going to be 100% like exactly the yeah. same. But I think it's if you're open to it, what you bring to it. I, I like this take, actually. You're basically saying this nostalgic is the sum of the parts in a way. It's the... Um, not necessarily just that bread or that food item, but the, you know, the family that's making it and their history and where are their parents from mm -hmm. and, you know, a connection that you develop. And then when you eat it, you're like, yeah, man, this, you know, 
sure, it might not be a one-to-one exact, but I don't know, my opinion is that it's kind of impossible to do that. It's like, it's hard because in the moment you're eating something and it's hard to compare that to a past flavor. But I really, first of all, got to go to that bakery. You have to go. (laughs) It's called Pan Estilo Copala. You have to go. Pan Estilo Copala. Yes. Oof. It's in a garage, in somebody's garage. That's what I'm talking about. It's in a residential neighborhood. It's not that place you just sent me today, is it? Mm-hmm. Is yeah, because I was, I was creeping on your social media. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, we got to go. go. It's okay. amazing. It's in a residential neighborhood. You just have to follow your nose. Follow the yeast oh, smell. It's man. in a backyard. It's amazing. Wow. All right. Well, we're going to try to get you to follow your nose here. Um, okay. Because I've always, I've always been curious. So I went to a couple grocery stores looking for this pimiento cheese, right? And I couldn't find it. My understanding, I, I haven't eaten much of pimiento cheese. What is the deal with it? Is it, this is an actual Mexican thing? This is a thing. I have not found the roots for this. I asked my mom, is this your thing? She mm. was like, no, 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 no. It's not my thing. I tasted this in Mexico City. And this is basically the lonche that was served at every piñata, every birthday party that mm. I, when I was a little kid. And I think it's very much an American thing with the yellow cheese and mm. the pimento. It seems like a weird thing that a children would like, <laughs> but... Maybe I'm just was just a weird kid. Yeah, no, you're not because I've been so so. Let, let's get down to the let's get down to the situation. Okay. You're definitely not a weird kid. I I've been snacking on this mixture all day. Yes. <laughs> I'm gonna explain to you uh, what I did to get here. So okay. first and foremost, we'll talk about the bread because you you mentioned the bread. I went through a couple of iterations from an idea perspective, and I landed on not making the bread from okay. scratch because. There's something about the texture of that style of sliced white bread, you know, that comes in a bag. This one is uh, the particular brand is uh, Bimbo. Oh, that's probably what was used. <laughs> that is I the know. bread, yes. So when I saw the Bimbo, <laughs> to my listeners and to anyone else that doesn't know about Bimbo, just Google it. You'll see the little, the little <laughs> white mascot thing, figure, dude. Little face. Get the powdered yeah. donuts. When I went to Honduras for the first time, I remember my, my uncle gave me Bimbo donuts. It's just very Latin American thing. Very. Um, double check Bimbo before we go promote them. Okay. Sometimes, sometimes these CEOs be doing crazy shit, man. And he's just like, damn it, man. I just wanted to talk about Bimbo. It's like Goya. Yeah. Goya messed me up. I was like, bro, I dog. Know. Every Hispanic had to clean their cabinet out. Remember it's that? It's so true. And the Sasson Goya is so good. I love it too. But it's like, mm, can I use it? Oh, oh, yeah. Can I just put it in another container just, and throw and away prete- the Goya And part? pretend it's not. <laughs> they broke our heart. They really did. They um, so I didn't make the bread. I got the <laughs> <laughs> I got the bimbo bread. It's very soft. I'm, now, I'm squeezing it. I made a couple of errors. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. So there's a little bit of cheddar in there, but it is predominantly American cheese whipped into it. So because I thought the American cheese that you uh, said in the email, I thought that should go like on the bread. And then you put a cheddar based spread on. Hmm. And then I was like, no, that doesn't make sense. So I cut in a good bit of American cheese in there. So okay. that was that was flaw number one. No, it's going uh, to elevate it. Flaw number two, because I, I have to be transparent. There's mayo in this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you should have let her eat it first before you no, went no. through the things. No, 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 I can't. No, I, this is how it works. I got to explain myself first. All right. Okay. She went from nostalgic level high to like, not, I think the level just dropped a little bit. No, I like to explain. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, so here's what happened. I researched this recipe. I saw a lot of iterations of these recipes and 
most of them include a little mayonnaise, right? And I was like, what harm could this be? So after I make it with all the ingredients, Bridget goes, oh, she doesn't like mayo. I was like, (laughs) (laughs) "Ah!" so there's a little bit of mayo in there. But I personally don't think it's enough to, to make you... For my listeners that don't know, uh, Maite does not, does not like mayonnaise. And we, we do need to, honestly, we need to talk about that. Mayonnaise is like the fruit of sandwich to me. I mean, mm. may, mayonnaise just provides such a level of moisture and deliciousness to sandwiches. For me, you are just biting your tongue so hard. <laughs> no. You know what? Let's just have it out. Let's, let's. No, I totally, my mom used to use some sort of milk or evaporated milk, milk or something. Milk. Okay. So milk. I look, if there's a little bit of may- mayonnaise, I'm good. All right. But yeah, mayonnaise is one of those things that I'm, I love mustard on a sandwich. Mm-hmm. Not on a mustard, not on a sandwich there's like no mustard. This. Well, maybe we'll sidebar and have a, a separate mayo episode okay. somewhere. Uh, <laughs> for the heat, uh, it didn't have any jalapeno which I understand a little bit of that is, is traditional, but I did have, I was in New Mexico and they had this hatch chile salt, um, which I've been using in a lot of stuff I've been cooking. And so for the spice level, I added some of that into this. So it, it has a nice little salty heat nice. from that. And that's pretty much it. Stay flaky. We'll be right back. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a golf course. 70 courses. Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursion? Time for chill vibes. Beach yoga. How about a garden tour? Apple Park. Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret. Pack your bags with just-arrived swim, cover-ups, corset tops, and other sexy silhouettes. When the sun goes down, opt for bold and blingy styles, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy Push-Up Bra from the Very Sexy Collection, in on-trend hues like Black Shine, Green, and Citron. For a glam statement, pair them with your favorite jeans and bring the heat. Because life is better in a bikini. Rewind to the future with the VS Archive Swim Collection inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. For endless out-of-office options, mix and match with Victoria's Secret's wide range of bikini tops and bottoms that offer you every type of coverage, from full to cheeky to minimal. And now in this season's must-have shades and patterns, add the finishing touch with the limited edition Bombshell Escape fragrance, a free-spirited take on the iconic Victoria's Secret scent. Dive into a vibrant blend of juicy guava, lush palms, and summer glow peony. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. Summon your anticipation for an all-new season of our favorite Netflix series, Bridgerton. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? And meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. And I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix, May 16th. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop starting May 2nd. 
Enough of that. Back to the interview. And now it's time for you to take a bite. Okay. I'm excited. It's, it's time to see where you go. Let me see. Ugh, right. This is beautiful. <laughs> this is like, I love the way you packaged it. I mean, I had no choice. I figured that, you know, it was probably packaged like that. It was totally know. packaged like this. <laughs> I think sometimes when my mom used to take it to other people's houses, this is exactly yeah. how it would how it would be done. We have some for the rest of the family here, Lauren. We got for the production team to <laughs> also because you can't you can't just bring one of these. Yeah. Oh my so gosh. what are your initial thoughts? I mean, texturally, visually, the color. Texturally, I, I need to know. I need to know the, the deets. Don't oh. be shy. Texturally, the bread is beautiful. The edges are perfectly cut. Actually, this one still has a little bit of brown, which I like because <laughs> I. Whoops. No, 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 no. I don't mean it in a whoops way. I prefer a little bit uh, of crust. Uh, how does it smell? It smells like it smells <laughs> like childhood. Cheers. cheers. We're going to cheers oh. that. Here we go. Oh my go. gosh, it's beautiful. Mm. Y'all got them? Oh my God. This is really delicious. Okay. Okay. This is exactly the way it tastes. That's exactly the way it tastes. This is exactly the way it tastes. 100%. It really is. I'm looking at your eyes right now. I'm feeling. What are you tasting? What are you feeling? Mmm. Mm, this is really good. It's really good. <laughs> The texture is perfection. Okay. I don't taste the mayonnaise, I have to say. That's good. I wouldn't have no I wouldn't have known had you not told yeah, me. Yeah, I just didn't know if you had like a mayonnaise allergy or something. Mm. So I was I'm just gonna let you know there's some mayo in there. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to find some eloquent words to say when I really just wanna sit here and eat the sandwich. Eat sit here and eat. There's no <laughs> listen, you don't have to say much. Silence is better, actually. Are you feeling the effects of the shredded cheddar though? No. Okay. No, it it tastes because it's not super strong. Mm -hmm. No, it's not. It's not like extra sharp cheddar or anything like that, no, right? No, it was definitely like a mild cheddar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I wonder if my mom used to use like a mixture of different yellow cheeses mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because the cheese it tastes the same. I would say the main difference is that it has m more, and she used to do like a like a little oh a light layer a lighter layer. So I'm a little too loaded up on the filling. Okay, okay. But that's not a bad thing. That's more of <laughs> no. the adult. Yeah, that's sort yeah. of the adult thing. Yeah, I'm trying to eat. <laughs> yeah. So we always want to know from our guests, did I nail it? Where did I bring you? Did I bring you back? And I want to hear some specifics about exactly where you are right now. I feel like, yes, you totally nailed it. Visually, especially when I stuck when I pulled them out of the little bag, it was these four little perfect little squares, <laughs> these perfect little sandwiches. The smell, the texture, like it sort of it just transports me to my mom's kitchen and helping her put this together and the anticipation of, oh my God, my friends are coming over. Woo. Where's the piñata? Yeah, where's the piñata, guys? Where's the piñata? Graham, I told you to set up the piñata, man. What happened? I even showed you the picture of the one I wanted, man. What happened? <laughs> um, I'm certainly very, very excited about the fact that you were being able to uh, have been brought back. Yes. Um, for my listeners, as usual, we would love to see you guys make this recipe, of course, on Shondaland.com. Make sure you're tagging us. We want to see your shot at it. We want to know if you used to eat these as a kid as well. You know, we love to kind of encourage people to be like, yo, I used to eat that too, man. But like, you know, my mom used to da 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 Me and Bridget were eating 
spoonful of this, basically. Um, <laughs> it's really good. It's really good. <laughs> it's like the perfect. It's it's so simple. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's when I was asked, oh, what what kind of food? My m- brain immediately went to lunches and beans. Then I was like, that's too lowbrow. I like it's no. too. Then I was like, you know what? No, I'm glad that you included <laughs> this as an option because I think it it helps show people how. No matter where we get into our in our career or how advanced our food knowledge might become or whatever, there's some things like, a, you know, like a DiGiorno pizza might rekindle a certain memory of mm-hmm. mine. And I know it's absolutely terrible for you. Another sponsorship deal I'm not getting. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I love talking to you. I mean, you have yeah. such an expansive knowledge of food. How did you get interested in, in food history and culture and art? Like where did how did you go from from this birthday party? to being such a, a, a renowned food historian? Oh, I think it started at home, mm-hmm. really. I think, you know, growing up in Laredo, Texas, you know, there really weren't that many restaurants. You know, we would never really go out to eat to restaurants. And when we would, it was mostly Mexican restaurants, so what was available. But my parents always loved food, And I remember like on Sunday evenings, my mom used to have like themed dinners, like she would make tempura or she would make paella or she would make clams with like this green sauce and Mm. just always like interesting foods Mm -hmm. from different parts of the world. And our friends would come over. I have two brothers and it was always an event. And my dad was the most amazing storyteller. (laughs) And it's not like he was talking about food or anything like that, but it was just this whole idea of bringing our friends together through a meal. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my mom was making tempura when there were no Japanese restaurants, you know, in town. So it was always interesting to me. And then as far as art, whenever we would travel, our, our trips were mostly to Mexico, which is where my parents were from. And we would always go to museums and mm-hmm. architecture. And it was, uh, we were always dragged to these cultural <laughs> right. places. So I think both of these things were very much a part of me. Um, so when I first went to school, I studied art. And then I moved, you know, after graduate school, I moved to New York with the idea of, you know, I'm going to be an artist. But I love to cook for people. And I always, I realized one day that I found such immense satisfaction and creativity from preparing a meal Mm -hmm. and creating an experience, which you just did with this sandwich. (laughs) You sort of create this experience and then it's gone. Yeah. And I loved that. Uh And then I was like, oh, well, I'm going to go to culinary school just just to see. Um, And I was working in museum education at the time. I remember I was in culinary school. I was working at the Met in New York. Mm -hmm. And then I started researching a medieval tapestry for Mm -hmm. a program that I was developing. And I came across medieval manuscripts and recipes. And I was like, oh, my God, people have always eaten. (laughs) It (laughs) was like walking through a museum was completely like I never did it again the same way. It's like I would walk by a painting of a portrait. I wonder what that person was eating. And I wonder what the artist was eating. And I wonder who was what the person that was making the paint was eating. And I wonder and everything. And what was the king eating? And what was the pauper eating? And and that's when I just became completely obsessed completely obsessed with researching, you know, culinary history through that. Mm -hmm. And when I was teaching the art, I started bringing in elements of like food um, and food history. And at the end, I would hand out recipes. And it was interesting to me in that food is so accessible, right? Like 
but walking into museum Mm -hmm. can be very intimidating. Don't touch. Like, there's so many rules. But when you bring in the food component, all of a sudden, this painting of a 17th century king wearing a fur, you know, whatever, cape and a big wig, all of a sudden is relatable. Yeah. Because, oh, my God, he liked to (laughs) eat whatever. Yeah, I play with that king. He was hungry, too. He He was was just trying to eat. (laughs) Exactly. Or, oh, my God, he used to prepare his own hot chocolate. Like, Like, what? (laughs) So then it's like, oh, oh, food is the ultimate connector. Mm -hmm. So that's how I started on this path, you know, and until I decided, okay, this is what I'm going to do, combine the art history with the food history, because it's it's just, it's life, right? Yeah. It, it connects us all. It takes us home. It, it takes us around the world. That's sort of how it happened. I mean, you went from exploring random museums as a kid, not really understanding what was going on and eating good food to, you know, working at the Met and being in culinary school, which is like, a high level of this kind of the same experience. Like, you know, I think it's interesting what you're saying because my second cookbook's coming out and a lot of Latin American baking history has to do with colonization, right? It has to do with how colonists brought over certain ideas. And it's like you're saying about kings. I, I, I don't know the specifics, but <clears throat> you know many recipes in Latin America? You know, it could be pan dulce, it could be whatever, but like it always started because some random king wanted to have banquets. <laughs> and like, like, no, but I'm serious. Like, everything you're saying is exactly how I've been researching and how I picture it. It's like the king would be like, yo, man, I'm from France, so I want, you know, X, Y, Z. And the indigenous people were like, well, we don't really have wheat, good wheat, so we're just going to throw some corn in this, some masa. Right. We're just going to make this with masa, or we're going to make, you know, we're going to make some crazy hybrid of this, and, they, you know, they serve the king. No, but it's so true. I mean, it's just how cuisine just evolves, right? Well, I mean, we touched on this briefly at the beginning. It's like, what is is American Chinese food? Chinese food is is deep dish pizza, pizza, is New York pizza, like whatever it is, what really happened is certain cultures came to a different land that has different grains, ingredients, water, everything, Mm -hmm. and they try to replicate food from a different land in the best way possible. So I think the answer is yes, across the board, because, you know, my parents are immigrants. So like, Mm -hmm. is my mom's baleada in Louisiana the same as one in San Pedro Sula? I think, I mean, yeah, because like, you know, but man, we could go on and on about that stuff. I know, (laughs) it's the whole question of what is authentic and what does it mean? You know, what does authenticity mean? You know, it's like, well, sometimes this is just authentic because it's authentic to me. Yeah. Yeah. And that's okay. We should. Yeah. We as a society should. uh, (laughs) Well, uh, there he is. Um, (laughs) I feel like we should be a little more accepting and less interested in this idea of authenticity in food, because Mm -hmm. I think it. There's so much personal nostalgia that goes into what is or is not X, Y, Z. Yeah. So, I mean, is this why you started Art Bites? Is this this culmination of all of this stuff? Like, that's is that what drove you to kind of doing that? And like, and what does it really entail? Absolutely, it is. It is creating these these experiences, right? Mm. Sort of bringing people together. So, in a, in a typical class that I teach. We tour a, a, an exhibition, so we'll spend an hour looking at art, mm-hmm. weaving in the stories of the food, and then prepare a meal inspired by history. So mm. often, you know, people have told me, oh, I came to a class and I'm leaving a party. 
And I love that. <laughs> you know, people prepare a contemporary meal inspired by history because I also I'm not really interested in making some weird ancient Roman, you know, thing that people are going to taste and be like, oh, it's kind of weird. More, I'm more interested in the stories <laughs> right. and then adapting it. Right. To something know? delicious and palatable. Exactly. Not like full on wheat la coche. Uh, I love wheat la I love coche. wheat la coche too. But my <laughs> first time eating it, I was like, what's going on here? Uh, yeah. and so like, how do you cook in a museum? Well, it depends. I've blown fuses at every museum in Southern California, <laughs> bringing in hot plates and toaster ovens when I first started this uh-huh. career. And I'm really, I remember one time I, w- I was at a museum at the Santa Ana Museum of Art in mm-hmm. Orange County. And I was telling them, like, this is a really old building. I think we need the electricians here just to make sure that everything is wired correctly. And they're like, no, 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 it's going to be fine. Blew every fuse we ended up ordering from Pollo Loco. Uh. <laughs> but then I sort of figured it out and, you know, work with the electricians. I, I learned the lingo, of, yeah. you know, electricity lingo. I think we need a spider here. Uh, and, this might yeah. be a Guinness Book of World Records. <laughs> Maybe. Have you submitted to them? No, but Every I museum in South California, <laughs> fuse blown. I did that. No. No one would ever break that record. I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. What are some examples of classes that we can take at Art By? I want to take a class at Art By. When's the next class? What, oh, what you do? What's going on? The next one, I actually have one coming up at the at the Huntington Library in mm-hmm. Pasadena. Mm-hmm. We're doing the, the Grand Tour, which is one of my favorite classes where we tour. It was this interesting time period that started around, you know, 1500s when... British aristocrats Mm -hmm. would travel through Europe, like go to Italy and go to France and this whole concept of traveling just for the sake of travel and curiosity for the first time. Maybe not not 1500s, 1600s. Not for to colonize, but like, hey, let's see what they're eating over there. Let's taste some of that French bread in Paris. Let's just have some of that pasta in Rome or whatever it was. So yeah. They would do that. Uh, Portuguese colonists in Brazil would go back to France to do exactly what you're saying because they wanted better bread in Brazil. So they would send some people off for luxury, basically. Hey, go taste the bread. How? So they come back and that's how they started making the the bao francaise. Oh, interesting. Bao francaise, French bread. French bread. Or, or bao jean. So, you know, and the Brazilian bakers would actually add like butter and more sugar to it. Because again, the wheat's not as good. So you gotta, you gotta kind of put a little something in there to try to replicate a texture or a feeling. But at some point, someone had to be like, uh, you know, I'm going on vacation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So it was around the 1600s. Well, you know what? Yeah, I just want to travel yeah. just to go with my yeah. friends and just to see what's happening. Yeah. I mean, I'm tired of killing all these people <laughs> in this land and, and ruining their agriculture. I, want, I need a break from this. I yeah, <laughs> it's interesting because the, these grand tourists, as they were called, they used to keep diaries and mm. they would send, and a lot of these diaries exist, a lot of the letters that were sent home, mm-hmm. and they comment a lot on, on the food that they were eating, which I find that's so interesting because that's when we travel, that's really the way in to a culture is the food. It's the food. Mm -hmm. And and is that how you, like, how do you create these courses? Like, is that, would that be the foundation of these courses is, yeah, there's the artwork, but like analyzing like those diaries, analyzing Mm -hmm. the writing, and then from there taking a step back, Like, like how exactly are these courses, how do you kind of package that together and put your own flavor to it? Yeah, it depends. Sometimes it starts with the art and sometimes it starts with the food. Mm. Like sometimes it's like, oh, you know what? I really want to focus on this historic cookbook or this or these series of letters. And then I'll I'll look to see what, you know, what art is available that I could sort of weave the two together. Mm-hmm. So I have a relationship with different museums in LA and 
during the pandemic, it was so easy because everything was virtual. Yeah. So I was able to go all over the world. And sometimes I just, I'll just focus on, I'll give a talk on a particular cookbook or time period and then make one thing or have a tasting. So sometimes it starts with the art. Sometimes it starts with the cookbook or the series of cookbooks or the letters. And so there's really no one way to do it. Mm. Like I'm doing something in the summer at LACMA, the LA County Museum of Art. They have an exhibit called Pressing Politics. It's all political art from Mexico and Germany. And so we're doing a beer tasting. Oh, snap. So we'll do a history of beer, beer tasting, and we're going to have um, hot dog vendors. So, mm, 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 mm. so there's so there's lots of different ways, and I <laughs> and I feel so lucky that there are people that are like, oh yeah, let's that's a good idea, let's try it. Yeah, that sounds like a phenomenal <laughs> idea. Yeah. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after this. Let's hit it. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a wave. Surfing. Give me a city tour. The trolley. Give me animals. The zoo. Give me some sea life. <laughs> Give me museums. Park. Give me a woo. Roller coaster. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret. Pack your bags with dust-arrived swim, cover-ups, corset tops, and other sexy silhouettes. When the sun goes down, opt for bold and blingy styles, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy Push-Up Bra from the Very Sexy Collection, in on-trend hues like Black Shine, Green, and Citron. For a glam statement, pair them with your favorite jeans and bring the heat. Because life is better in a bikini. Rewind to the future with the VS Archive Swim Collection inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. For endless out-of-office options, mix and match with Victoria's Secret's wide range of bikini tops and bottoms that offer you every type of coverage, from full to cheeky to minimal. And now in this season's must-have shades and patterns, add the finishing touch with the limited edition Bombshell Escape fragrance, a free-spirited take on the iconic Victoria's Secret scent. Dive into a vibrant blend of juicy guava, lush palms, and summer glow peony. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. Summon your anticipation for an all-new season of our favorite Netflix series, Bridgerton. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? And meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. And I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix, May 16th. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop starting May 2nd. Welcome back to Flaky Biscuit. It reminds me of um, 
Something I read that you wrote, it's in Life and Time, titled Tamales Tortas in Time. Mm. And it really resonated with me because the formation of Mexican culture has largely been viewed in European terms. I have my own opinions about what this means, but I would love it if you could expand on that because it really kind of hit home. Yeah. yeah. Well, definitely in Mexico, for sure, you know, with the, the conquest. And, and it wasn't until the early 1900s when the, the Mexican Revolution was beginning to sort of brew. And a lot of artists, you know, particularly artists like Diego Rivera and Siqueiros and all of these, the big names of the Mexican, you know, Renaissance movement, mm-hmm. they were really the, the leaders in addition to the revolutionaries, Emiliano Zapata and Pancho Villa and all of these big names, that people at the end end of the 19th century, beginning of the 20th century, you know, Mexico City is growing and people are discovering all of these objects, all of these artifacts that had been destroyed, you know, sort of fragments of them. The Spaniards destroyed everything or tried to destroy everything. I mean, in Mexico City itself, the main temple, the stones of the temple were used to build the cathedral right on top of it. And the ultimate FU, right? It's like... Ruthless. Ruthless, ruthless. <laughs> you can hear about it, but if you go to Mexico City, you literally, you see it. Mm-hmm. It's such a part of life. But for so many centuries during the colonial period, everything was what was from Spain or what was French or what was European, what was what was better. And it wasn't until the late 19th, early 20th century that Mexicans started to discover their Mexicanidad, right? Mm-hmm. Their Mexicanness. And the root of this was through food. Because for many years, corn, which is the, the soul of Mexico, was replaced with wheat, right? Which was for the gente decente, mm-hmm. right? For the, the, mm-hmm. the respectable people. And the wider the bread, the better the bread, the darker the bread, you know, yep. was sort of the category. And then corn was at the very bottom. Yep. And then this time of the 1900s, people are discovering their roots. You know what? We are gente de maíz. Like, mm. let's, this Hell is who man. we are, right? <laughs> we, this is life. This is corn. And discovering what Mexico actually came from and the importance of the native in Mexico and finding pride in that. Mm-hmm. So this is something that's relatively new. You could say the past, you know, 100 years, yeah. the sense of Mexicanness really developed. Mm-hmm. And one thing that's really interesting, even before this, the earliest cookbooks in Mexico weren't printed until the, eight, the earliest cookbook published in Mexico is 1831, which has hardly any mention of Mexican recipes. It reads more like a French cookbook Mm -hmm. with a few recipes for tamales, you know, here Mm -hmm. and there. But it's when this concept of what is Mexican began to be formed, which is very European still. But this was even before the Mexican national anthem. So before these national library and theater and all of this, it was through food. But but the thing but the thing is the thing is though is that even though something like wheat was kind of like an infiltration, if you fast forward to today, you know, look at the bolillos and the tele. Oh yeah, we, we wouldn't have Mexican Pandul- bread. Conchas, conchas, yeah. and pan dulce. So even though a specific crop or a specific technique was brought over by specific people, it doesn't really matter anymore. It's, to me, I view as a completely different very distinctly Latin American or Mexican food item. Absolutely. And, I, and, and you know, the flour tortilla. The flour tortilla, yeah. man. The flour tortilla. I grew is, up with it. 
in the north. More, more popular in the north and the borderlands, obviously. Yeah. South Texas and everything like that. And, you know, in Honduras, flour tortillas are the the dominant tortilla because oh, really? our national dish is the baleada. But we still eat tortillas and maize, of course. Uh-huh. I mean, I, you know, most of, you know, Mexico and Central America. <laughs> my biggest takeaway is always it seems like the Europeans forgot that they learn how to bake from African people. <laughs> so I know, everything just amnesia. Everything stays so <laughs> selective amnesia. Everything stays so European forward, right? And it's mm-hmm. look, man, I'll eat a croissant and all that, and it's it's good. I'm not gonna say it's not bad, but it's interesting how food ways and how it's baking may have originated in Turkey, the Middle East, North Africa. Some I don't. No one can really pinpoint. Right. That's where baking started. But it, you know, mm-hmm. but the, and and these traditions are moved into Europe and out to Asia, east, west, fucking whatever. Uh, where am I? I'm California? <laughs> It'd be west? Does it matter? Anyway, so it, it is interesting to me that you go out to eat or if you think about fine dining or think about fine food, it is all still viewed through a European lens. Still, yeah. And I'm like tired. I'm like, man, it's like, it's, it's exhausting it to, is. To, to unpack. It is. You know, but do you think it's changing? Hmm. No. In the baking world or in just the food world in general? I think in the food world in general, there's a movement, there's a very strong movement, in my opinion, when you think about like, if you think about in Mexico or in Brazil, fine dining for a while was European food. Mm -hmm. You know, there's Brazilian chefs that after a while, they're like, why am I making this? I should be making Brazilian food. Mm -hmm. You know, there's there's been a lot of chefs that have been able to take a stand and actually cook high-end fine dining regional cuisine that's not rooted in European dominance. I think baking's far behind. I yeah. think baking's so far behind. It's far behind in the in the popular trends of American society. How about we say that? Because, you know, obviously you go to Africa, they're like, we baking our stuff over here. Right. But, you know, we kind of live in this world that's this little food media, Western Americanized world that we view food from, which which a lot of people think is the only lens. Right. It's definitely, there's a long way to go to get someone to be like, oh, bolillos, that's great. Or, oh, you know, naan or roti, anything. Right. Just anything else than... Than the baguette or the croissant. Yeah. If I ask you, like, what's what are the top five bakeries that have opened in L.A. or in New York or whatever, their menus are usually the exact same thing. That's true. <laughs> it's loaded, man. We, I mean, it's I tough. I know. It is. It is. It's tough. It's never ending. Well, so what's your answer? Do you think it's changing? I mean, I think that the fact that people are having these conversations is a really good thing Mm -hmm. that are celebrating other cuisines. I think that there's I think that there's an interest in that in celebrating other cuisines right now. So. So maybe. Maybe. (laughs) Yeah, we just got we got a little too pensive in here. It's starting (laughs) to get starting to get philosophical. (laughs) So speaking of Mexican food, we always love to play. A flaky game with our guests. Okay. And I promise you, I'm 100% sure that you have all the answers. It's multiple choice. And it's about Mexican food. Are you ready? Okay. Are you ready for the flaky game? (laughs) I'm ready for the flaky game. All right. Vamos, vamos, vamos. Vamos. Um, Okay. Got a couple questions for you. Okay. Number one, you need to have pork and pineapple if you want this street food to be done right. Is it? Tacos al pastor. 
Ding, 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 That's ding, ding, my ding. favorite taco. That's my favorite. Don't even need to list off options. That is the level you're operating on. With that one. <laughs> With that That's one. That's my favorite taco. That was impressive, of course. Leo's tacos. You have to check them. those the out when here? you're here. Yeah, we've yeah. been before. You've been, also okay. phenomenal. Because it's all about the tortilla sometimes. Mm, too. The, that's true. It's the filling could be good, but a lot of... Leo's is on point, but there's a couple out there. You'd be like, where you get the tortilla from? Mm, you yeah. got a bunch of bags Costco. of tortilla there. You got them Costco <laughs> tortillas. Then they crumble when you try to fold them. Anyway, here we go. Dating back to Mayan times. Oh, shit. <laughs> this dish needs a sauce on it to be complete. What is it called? Is it a churro? Is it a burrito? Is it enchiladas or tamales? Hmm. I would say tamales. Ooh. Am um, I wrong? I don't think you're actually wrong. <gasps> well, I oh. mean, the answer I had highlighted was enchiladas, but if you think about it, tamales, like a, a traditional Mexican tamal, mm -hmm. is it sauce-based? Is there a sauce that goes on it? Well, I guess it's the sauces inside. Oh, you meant the sauce on mm, top? But yeah, you're right, though. There's... But I wouldn't associate enchiladas. It says which dish needs a sauce to be complete, so. Oh, well, this enchiladas. A... Enchi okay. Enchiladas. So and... I was thinking that you were right also, because if the sauce is inside, maybe yeah. maybe, maybe it's both. Maybe it's both. Maybe or it's maybe both. I'm wrong. But mm. enchiladas do need a sauce they on top. Do. What's your favorite type of enchilada? I like green enchiladas. Enchiladas uh, green, suizas. Green sauce. Mm -hmm. What about you? The green ones. Yeah. Some chilaquiles as well. Oh, I love with chilaquiles. The, I know, son. All right. We got one more. Okay. <laughs> oh, that's funny. What is the dish that's not necessarily for breakfast, but is still enjoyed by a lot of people for breakfast? Is it... Chilaquiles. <laughs> Menudo, pozole, or tacos. Chilaquiles. Chilaquiles. I shouldn't have disclosed the chilaquile, the forthcoming chilaquile. That's okay. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think of tacos for breakfast. No, although, uh, you know Oh, what? well, you can. I'll, like the breakfast tacos, the Texas breakfast tacos. Uh, uh, yeah, no, but you're, you're correct. Chilaquiles, like, again, my experience in Mexico is like... You're eating chilaquiles in the morning. That's like for if breakfast. If you're going to a coffee shop or a little cafe, everyone's eating chilaquiles. You're like, oh, I'm going to get down with that too. I uh, tasted some amazing chilaquiles in Michoacan a few months ago. Mm. They had an aguacate sauce. Oh. They were like amazing. A, but not guacamole. Just no, like that. Like it a, was like a green sauce, but it had guacamole. It was kind of creamy. Mm -hmm. They were a little spicy, mm -hmm. but... It was, the avocado was delicious. Mm, 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 mm. Man, and the aguacates out there is a different variety. Well, mm. California got some pretty good ones, oh, yeah. too. Yeah, California sure. basically the same thing. Yeah. Stolen land. Uh, <laughs> I'm just playing, just playing guys. Uh, last one, and this one's interesting. I've never heard of this before. I researched this for, for our little game here. So what is one of the most patriotic dishes in all of Mexico? Is it chicharrón? Chiles rellenos? Is it... Chiles en nogada? That one. <laughs> yes, good. Chiles en nogada! <laughs> I, I, so Chiles I en nogada. So, what I is love, it? I love... That's one of my favorite things in the world. Yeah. And it is the most beautiful dish. Uh -huh. It's a chile poblano that's stuffed with a combination of, you know, ground picadillo, like mm -hmm. ground beef. And mm -hmm. I put nuts in mine, and sometimes I'll put raisins, mm -hmm. and it's just like a sort of sweet and savory picadillo with mm. like a tomato sort of base mm. stuffed and then the nogada sauce is this creamy walnut sauce Ooh. it's like queso fresco mm. walnuts milk sugar 
pour it on top. So you have the green chile with the white sauce. And traditionally, you're supposed to peel the walnuts so it's just white. Mm. I don't do that because whatever. <laughs> and then it's garnished with pomegranate seeds. Mm, so it makes the colors of the Mexican flag. Mm -hmm. Wow. It's beautiful and delicious. Different textures. It's an explosion of flavors. I've never had it, but now oh. I feel like I'm going to go somewhere How right now. How long are you going to be in town? Until March, in another month, basically. Okay. You I'll got make me? them for you guys. Yeah. What? I'll make them You'll for you. Make I will. I'll make them. No, I'm bad. If you have time, yeah. absolutely. We'll make time for that. Absolutely. absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We definitely have time for okay. that. Wow. So I'll give you a four for four. You know, I think you're good. <laughs> okay. I think you passed the flaky game. Um, <laughs> Thank and you. Usually towards, the, you know, at the end of our episode, we love to talk about with our guests an organization that is special to you. And what are the things that are on your mind to, to try to further our community? And from what I understand, it's uh, No Us Without You. LA. So I'd love to learn more about this. Yeah, absolutely. So there's there's two organizations that I would love to give a shout out to. So No Us Without You is one of them. And they are amazing. They're based here in LA. And they started during the pandemic when all of the restaurants closed and everybody was at the job. So they focus on helping undocumented back of house restaurant mm, workers, Wow, feeding them. And at the height of the pandemic, they were feeding about 1,600 people, undocumented workers. And now with things have opened up, but the ripple effects are still very much being felt. So they're still helping with undocumented immigrants, feeding them, but also now, since some of them are now back at work, helping their children get tutors mm -hmm. or helping them with pro bono therapy or mental health or mm -hmm. helping them. They have this whole this new wish list system where if they need help for rent or if they need help for clothing for their for their children. But it's all about helping undocumented workers that worked in the restaurant business. Yeah. These essential workers, yeah. you know, that yeah. that were just left out in the in the cold. It's insane. They're, yeah, they're, so they're, they're an incredible organization. That's the heartbeat to the restaurant industry. That's the, that's the whole circulatory system, mm -hmm. heartbeat, lungs. <laughs> Everything, <laughs> that's the, that's the that's pulse. Yeah, the pulse. it's I mean, the pulse. It, and the people that started it were, were um, in the hospitality business. There were bartenders. Uh -huh. And now they've shifted and this is what they do. Another organization that I think is amazing is there's this restaurant in Little Ethiopia here in L.A. called Flavors from Afar. Okay. And they work together or they're run by this organization called the TIA Foundation, and it's owned and operated by a woman who's a Somalian refugee. She's been in the U.S. since she was a child, but the chefs of the Flavors from Afar restaurant are all immigrants. Mm -hmm. So every month is a different immigrants, and they're refugees, actually. So you might go one month, and it's Guatemalan food. You Ooh. might go another month, and it's Syrian food. So every month is a different cuisine mm. and it's all home cooks mm -hmm. and it's this whole idea of you know going you know full circle is your connection to home yeah they're preserving these these traditions because if you don't continue to cook these foods then they're going to disappear yeah. so they're another incredible organization both of them are very close to my heart wow in case of a refugee coming to this country it can be a pretty traumatic experience and 
getting the opportunity to just cook the food that makes you feel like you're at home mm-hmm. and sharing that with your new community, Absolutely. I think that's extremely and important. And making money. Yeah, doing making it. some money. Right? Hay que ganar la plata. Hay que ganar la plata. Exactly. <laughs> it's important. Yeah. We'll have the, the websites and calls to action in our show notes. Uh, you know, I'm assuming with both of these, we can volunteer, you know, you can donate Absolutely. or volunteer and the websites we'll provide to the listeners. And, uh, I'll have to check it out myself. Thank you. Thank you for coming to Flaky Biscuit. <laughs> Thank you for having me. This has been such so much fun. Thanks for listening, y'all. If you want to make the lonches de piñata for yourself, find the recipe on the Shondaland website. And I want to know how it goes. Tag me, Artisan Brian. Tag Maite at artbites underscore Maite. Post a photo. Tell me how you did. Use mayonnaise, don't use mayonnaise. I don't know. My advice would be go with what your heart desires. <laughs> and don't forget to check out Flavors from Afar at flavorsfromafar.co. And know us without ULA at knowuswithoutyou.la. You can find my handle and all the links I mentioned in the show notes for this episode. Fam, if you like Flaky Biscuit, you already know what to do. Leave us a rating, review, share, subscribe. You already know we coming through with the best food podcast content out there, so you might as well let everybody else know that too. Flaky Biscuit is executive produced by Sandy Bailey, Alex Alche, Lauren Homan, Tyler Klang, and Gabrielle Collins. Our creative producer is Bridget Kenna, and our editor and producer is Nicholas Harder, with music by Crucial. Recipes from Flaky Biscuit can be found each week on Shondaland.com. Subscribe to the Shondaland YouTube channel for more Flaky Biscuit content. Flaky Biscuit is a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from Shondaland Audio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach! Give me great food. Tacos! Give me adventure. Hiking! Give me a date night. Sunset cruise! Give me some smiles. Cheese! Give me more beaches. Beaches! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Summon your anticipation for an all-new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. This season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix, May 16th. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop starting May 2nd.